In the book, The Kingdom of Olives and Ash, which explores the human cost of 50 years of Israeli occupation, the African-American writer Jacqueline Woodson writes of standing in Hebron, watching soldiers close all the checkpoints as two small boys sharing a bicycle stand locked outside, crying. They are crying that their mothers do not know where they are. Please let us go home, they say again and again. Please let us go home, their words falling into dust. And she writes of how the soldiers, no more than children themselves, their guns slung across their torsos, looked on or away, their young faces set into the work that they were drafted to do. The children, still holding tight to their bicycle, continued to beg, and there was nothing that she, the writer, could do. The story of occupation, the story of land old as time, old as rock and dust, the story of a people using their understanding of the will of God as a justification to their own barbarity, it is a story which plays out all over the world, in all invaded land, and of course, all land has at some stage in history been invaded. And it is a story which plays out in our reading from Genesis today, which includes in its pages the journey of Joseph, he of the many-coloured cloak and the father's love, he who was left for dead by his brothers, left in a pit, then flung into slavery, then rescued by the God who gives him visions, visions which inspire the Pharaoh to elevate him from slave to advisor, and he who now stands, stands before his family, the same family that betrayed him and offers them sanctuary on a stranger's land. When this passage gets preached upon, there is often a focus on how Joseph is just like God, full of forgiveness despite the crimes done against him. Joseph is held up for us as an example of how to enact reconciliation. But another focus, historically, was when this passage was used to justify slavery and human trafficking. This reading was based on Joseph saying to his brothers, come closer to me, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. No, no, don't, don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. So to the slave owners of the world, the meaning of this text seemed clear. And as historian Larry Morrison writes, in America before the Civil War, the South often used the Bible to defend slavery and to attempt to erect a moral defense of human trafficking, just as it is being used today by those driving cars over black folk in Charleston. The emphasis from these pro-slavery defenders was always upon a literal reading of the Bible, which represented the mind and will of God. Slaveholding was not only justified, but it was also moral because it was recognized as such according to these people in Holy Scripture. The literal interpretation of Scripture, be it Hebrew, Christian, Muslim, or any of the other religions which have sacred texts at their heart, seems usually to lead to a fundamentalism which oppresses, destroys, and diminishes. The little boys locked out of home in the streets of Hebron were shut out based on a Zionist claim that Israel was a land without people for a people without land and on the idea that this land was given to the Hebrew people from the I am God of Yahweh and the prophets. As many of you know, I've just come back from a week of being on country in Arnhem Land, a land which was lived in long time, then invaded and occupied, and which now has been given back. I was there to listen, to witness, to pay respect. I was there almost 
inarticulate as to why. I was there to be asked by a little girl, you adopted yet? Not yet, I said. I adopt you then, she said. I am your yappa. I was there to eat turtle egg all hot and yellow on a spoon. I was there to watch children learn on country in language taught by their own teacher with a white teacher only there to support. I was there and I heard a new story of the people now drifting in from the homelands. The homelands which were repopulated in the 1970s by strong elders deciding to return back to country to live, but some of which are now slowly emptying, partly through choice and partly through government funding decisions. Kim Bullimore, a Murray activist from North Queensland who has worked in the struggle for Aboriginal rights over two decades and also in the Palestinian solidarity movement, believes that the history of Zionist Israel is no different in its establishment than the history of white occupation in Australia, rooted as it was in the racist dispossession of the Palestinian Arab population. Palestine, like Australia, was deemed to be an empty land by the Zionist who claimed it under God as rightfully theirs. She writes of how settler colonial societies are a distinct type of imperialist formation which are premised on the racist elimination of the indigenous population through various means, including ethnic cleansing, genocide and or assimilation. And of how all settler colonial states are characterised by massive inequalities and are often codified by law, built structurally into the economic, social and political system which ensure that the settler population is legally the privileged over the indigenous people. Please, please let us go home. Our mothers do not know where we are. With or without religion, people have been taking over each other's land and bodies and souls since before Cain murdered Abel. But when this possession is backed in the minds of the invaders by a divine right, we can only imagine the pain in the heart of the God whom we know in the spirit that danced in the heart of Jesus. For as Blaise Pascal so insightfully once wrote, people never do evil so completely and so cheerfully as when they do it with a religious conviction. People never do evil so completely and so cheerfully as when they do it with a religious conviction. So how have we got things so wrong for so long? And what do we do with the fundamentalists of the world who insist on the text as the literal word of God? A few weeks before I arrived in Yulkala, two separate groups of Christian evangelists arrived in town. They set up tents and began to preach their version of the gospel. It was a version based in the literal interpretation of the text from John that says, no one will come to the Father except through me. And these Christians had intentionally come to save the Aboriginals, to take them away from culture and to see the light. For some of you here today, the Bible is a mystery. For some of you, it is sacred. For some of you, it is a strange collection of myth and lore and poetry inspired by God and then written down by a people from a long, long time ago. People who are trying to make sense of their lived experience. 
For some of you, you may not be sure. For some of you, the Bible may have been taught to you as God's literal word and God's literal word, it remains. Two little boys in Hebron who can't get home. A Hebrew son sold into slavery whose story was used to justify human trafficking. Elders in the 70s who told the missionaries, we are grateful for what you gave us, but now we want to return to our truth. All of these lives caught up in the stories we tell ourselves about who God is and what God wants. Let's be still for just a moment. Let's just listen. Dadiri, meditation, silence. What is the movement of the Holy Spirit of God telling you 